So our series we're doing is Woke. This is part one of our series. I'm excited to bring this. This is, this is a series that we've designed uh, from this church. And what does the word woke mean? And for most of us here, woke means something like I woke up, right? Like, you know, that's why we use the word woke, the term woke. But the woke is also a modern slang word that you would use, and quite often you would use it with a phrase called stay woke. Have you heard of that, stay woke? So all you young people out there, you'll say you made hashtag stay woke. And what stay woke means in, in a slang term, it means that, that you're aware of what's really going on around you. So like if, if uh, for instance, you, you, that I'm, you need to stay woke because of, of children going to school without having breakfast or, or families who are struggling, we need to stay woke to the fact that there's something really going on. Because we can go through life and pretend, oh, everything's all good. We live in a, in a country where everybody's fed, but we've got to stay woke to the fact. And if we are aren't careful if we don't, if we don't uh, ever, because we are the answer to the need that is out there. If we don't stay woke to what's going on, then people continue to struggle because we think everything's all good. So that's where we, that's where we get the term stay woke. Or maybe it's also used uh, with racism as well, especially in America where that was used to say stay, stay woke for the subtleness of racism. We need to stay woke, be aware what's going on. And the other term where we use woke for in terms of modern day slang is, is the fact when you just become aware of something. Like for instance, like you've just come aware like right now that, that Santa isn't real. Like you've just come, like I've just, I've just woke to the fact that Santa isn't real. Like something profound in your life and now it's kind of shifted something. That's, that's another term where we use the word woke. And so the title of this message for us is woke. And it's for us, let us stay woke, let us be aware of the great heritage that we have in New Zealand. And when we think about Christianity, when we think about the, the when, when Christianity peaked in this country where, 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 where people declared that they were Christian, you know, when we think about what decade it was, you know, if we, we start to have a guess at it. What, when do you think we peaked as a country at where, where we all declared that we're Christians? And, and a lot of us will kind of think maybe before the 60s or, or, or maybe in the 70s when we had the great Jesus. Jesus, um, uh, Jesus movement happening, or, 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 or maybe it happened um, before World War II, or during World War II, where we peaked as a country. But did you know that um, in the 1800s is when we peaked as a country of people declaring themselves to be Christian? In fact, when census began in, in New Zealand back in 1890, 95% of this country declared themselves Christian. And did you know did you know that New Zealand was the most Christian country anywhere in the world back in 1890? And we need to stay woke to the fact that we have a powerful heritage, that, that when, the, when the missionaries came, the pioneering spirit went with them and they began. You know what the word pioneering means? It means a person who, a person who does something, or a person who does, who does something that no one else has ever done, a person who does something. That's what a pioneer is, a person who does something that no, no one else has ever done. And we had all these pioneers come here and they began to sow the seed of Christianity. And, and the Māori who, who embraced it back then took the seed and began to spread the gospel. So we had the pioneers of the missionary and the, and the first Māori who, who received it and they began to take hold of them. They were the real pioneers behind, behind this movement. In fact, you know, I remember when I first became a Christian, we used to have these revival prayer meetings. Right? And so these revival prayer meetings, I was like, we'll pray for a revival in New Zealand. And I go, Lord, we pray for a revival in New Zealand. And, we, and, it, and then there was a sense that a wave was coming. A wave was coming. And we had all these prayer meetings for revival. Uh, but as I began to study our history, and I've realized 
a revival has already hit this country. It hit our country back in the 1800s. Did you know that 80 to 80% of Māori came to Christ for the very first time? You know, when we think about great revivals in the world, we think of the Welsh revival, and us Pentecostals, this is where, 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 where we get our heritage from. Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism, our movement, was born out of the Welsh revival, where 5% of the nation came to Christ, and we say, what a great revival. But in this country, 88, 80 to 88% of this nation came to Christ. It was a real revival that happened and moved throughout this land. And we need to stay woke to the fact if it happened back then, it can happen again today. Why not? Why not? And you've got to understand, the missionaries that came, when they came to New Zealand, they didn't just have a prayer meeting about a revival. They did something about it. They prayed and did something about it. So when, we, when we're speaking about a revival in this country, we let us do something about it. Us bring on a third service next week. That is something this church has never done before. We, we, this church had done two services back in the 90s. We've never, never done three services before. This is pioneering. This is doing something we've never done. Hamilton Elam is a pioneering church. For the last 50 years, it's been pioneering churches throughout the country. It's, a, it's, it's always had this pioneering spirit. And for, and for somewhere down the line, we kind of slowed down and we stopped. Why did we stop? In fact, why did New Zealand began this decline in Christianity, where today um, about 42% of this country profess that they're Christian? 42%. We went from 95% to 42%. What happened? What happened to our pioneering spirit? Where well, we went out and we did something about it. What happened to our pioneering spirit? When we think of the first sowing of the seeds, Samuel Marsden. Samuel Marsden, he was a uh, magistrate in, in, in Australia to, to a penal colony, right? And so while he was in Australia, he, kind of, he met Māori who had traveled across to Australia, and he was so impressed by them that it moved him to, to, begin, to begin a ministry in New Zealand. So he went, to, he went back to London, and he began to, to, um, to muster up funds and muster up interest to, to begin to get missionaries together so they can head back to New Zealand, begin this great work. And so this was the, the London Mission Society, or the Church Mission Society, way back then. And so... So this happened way back in, let me find my, find my, I'll get back to my notes. I was just off, off notes for a moment. So he goes back to England and, and he gathers up support and he begins to sow seeds to missionaries by coming to New Zealand and beginning this great work of proclaiming who Jesus was. And so in, in, in 19, sorry, in 1814, the 26th of December, Samuel Marzen lands in New Zealand. And on the 25th, of December, Christmas Day, Samuel Marzen begins to preach the first ever sermon preached in this great land. And, and people were gathered, Māori and white settlers around were there, hearing this first message, the first seeds sown and broken in this, in this land. In fact, Samuel Marzen will go on to say this of the Māori people. Samuel Marzen said this, the natives of New Zealand are far advanced in civilization and apparently prepared for receiving the knowledge of Christianity more than any any savage nation. And so you get to understand, he was a man of his time, and, and anybody else who wasn't European was savages, but that's, that, that was just, that was just, he was just a man of his time. Remember what Jesus said about those who weren't Jews? He said, oh, no, I, we, I'm, here to, I'm, here to, I can't, I'm here to feed the Jews, the children of Abraham. I can't, I can't give seeds to the dogs, meaning everybody else that weren't Jews. He called people who weren't Jews dogs, but it was a man of the time, and he was, just, it was beginning to speak what, what his work was about. And so he, here's Samuel Mars, and he's saying, well, these people, this Maori people, they're, um, they are prepared to receiving the knowledge of Christianity more than any, 
any savage nation I have seen. The most I see of these people, the, the more I see of these people, the more I am pleased with. They appear like a superior race of men. And this is Samuel Marsden, who came here, and he was so excited. And he came here way back then in 1814. And then began the great work of the pioneering spirit of the missionaries began to came, come here and sow the seeds. They didn't just, let's have a prayer meeting about this in, in, in England. Let's pray that there's a revival. They, they did something. They left their country, and they sailed halfway across the world to, to this country, and they began to sow the seeds of the love of Christ, the saving power of Jesus. And they began to, to, to have, this, have a great work, this pioneering spirit, the, this zeal, this zeal. That, uh, and so they had this great zeal like that they were enthusiastic about the cause. And, 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 and so the early New Zealanders had great zeal for this country. When the Maori people come over for the very first time, they were pioneers and settled this land. They had great zeal for the land. And then missionaries carried on. So New Zealand were people of zeal and pioneering spirit. And when we think about our name, New Zealand, the first part of, New Zeal, of Zealand is zeal. But somewhere down the line, we lost our zeal for Jesus. We lost our passion, our drive, our pioneering spirit to, to go and do something about it, to tell people about Jesus. It's almost like we've just become new land, but we are new Zealand. Oh, come on. What happened to our pioneering spirit? When I, when I talk to people in this church, and I, and I sit and hear, and hear their story, and I, and I see that their move, once Christ has taken hold of their life, because when you encounter God, you discover purpose, and move them to do something. And they were, they were woke to the fact of things going on in the community that they went out and began to feed, um, feed people who, who were disadvantaged, and they didn't have much, but they did it anyway. Uh, 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 we've only got $23. See what we can feed some families with $23. And, and, so, and, and also when I was at camp last week, our unofficial church camp in Raglan, uh, I sat with, with Jody and Veronica, and, and they shared about this story about when they, they, when they came to Christ, and which was only um, not that long ago, but now they, 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 they seek resources to help those in need. And, and then when I think of the serve that we have in, down, in downtown Hamilton, our great city of Hamilton, our downtown metropolis, um, there are people uh, who are work. Who work, who work every single day, 24-7, 365 days of the, uh, of, of the year, feeding those who, um, who are less fortunate than others. You know, when I think of these people who stay woke to the fact there are people in need and they're doing something about it. And, and I'm, exci I'm excited about this church because this church is full of people with zeal, with passion, who do something about it. This is, this is our heritage as a church. We, you know, we, we're building on, on, on the passion of the pioneers that went before us within this church. This church has always had a pioneering spirit. We're not going to stop. We're not going to slow down. It's, it's risky. It's scary. But it's for the love of Christ. It's for the passion of Jesus. As long as there's one person who does not know Jesus, we will not stop yeah. until, until we see a real move of God of moving this place. I'm excited. We're planting a campus, pioneering a campus at the university. And uh, we're, we're looking at, at, at waking up something in Ngarawahia. I'm excited. We're looking at other areas. If God's laid something on your heart, please come and talk to me because we're excited about the pioneering spirit within this church. But somewhere down the line, New Zealand lost it. There was a stage when New Zealand was sending out missionaries right around the world. New Zealand was famous for sending missionaries. Now they're sending missionaries here. Again. What happened? 
what happened? And for, for many of us, we all want to make a difference. You know, something inside of us causes us to make a difference. But the reason why we don't is not because we don't want to. Quite often it's because we just don't know how to. Or, or who, me? What, what significance can I make in this place? Or maybe you've been knocked down and you've been getting up again, but you just keep getting knocked down. And, and, you, and, and, and you know what? You feel like, well, why bother getting back up again? How am I supposed to help others when I can't even help myself? So we stay down. And we lose the zeal. And we lose this pioneering spirit. And deep down inside us, God has called us to do something. You know, today I, I want to highlight a missionary. I spoke about Samuel Marsden. But today I really want to speak about Robert Monzel. So we're launching part one of our Woke series. And we're going to be talking about Robert Monzel. Robert Monzel was an Irishman. Any Irish people in this place? Irish heritage. Yeah, yeah, come on. I've got Irish heritage right here. That's why I wasn't too sad when Ireland beat the All Blacks. Not too sad. But anyway, it's World Cup year this year, so let's go. But anyway, so Robert Monzel was born in 1810. 1810. And he was a very intelligent man, and when he, he graduated school, he, gra- he graduated with honors. In fact, um, he graduated with honors and just about everything, classics, and, and he graduated with, especially noted for his understanding of the Hebrew language. In fact, he was top of the class. Of the 77 people who studied Hebrew, he finished number one. He was that good. And, and he had this promising career ahead of him to, be, to become a lawyer, to, to enter the bar. And, and, he, and his future was, was set for him to make lots of money, to be comfortable, to enjoy the riches of the UK. Until one day, he was having dinner. And he saw an old, a student of his who was a couple years older than him. And he, so Robert Monzo, he, thought, he, he said, oh, I'm graduating here. I'm going to enter the bar. And he sat down. And, Wait, hang on. He saw a friend of his. And he said, Wait, that's, I haven't seen him for ages. And he he was kind of like me, like a few years ago, and he, he was entering the bar. But what happened to him? So he had a conversation with him. So what happened? And his friend began to share a testimony of how he left the bar because he got a call for the ministry. And he said, the call for the ministry, it, it has changed his life. This so radically transformed Robert's mind that he couldn't sleep that day. He woke up the next day and said to his dad that I'm not entering the bar, that God has called me to be a minister for his people. And then he went on and had theological studies. And, and, and when he graduated theological studies, he applied to the um, Church Missionary Society in London. And they graciously accepted him. And they were about to send him out. And they said, Robert, where do you want to go? You choose. We'll send you. And Robert said, it doesn't matter to me. It's all the same. Because God has called me to preach the gospel to whoever, whenever I am ready. So they send Robert and his wife Susan to New Zealand. So he left to come here way back in 1835. Now, when Robert Monsell left England, he was 25 years of age. And his wife was 21. When they left England, they were never to return. Can you imagine that? Leaving your friends and family, never to see them again. See, many of us find that hard because today's technology, we can Skype them, FaceTime them, messenger video, whatever you use, WhatsApp. But Robert Monzel and Susan, they left and they knew they'll never see their family again. All they had was the call of God on their heart, this pioneering spirit of that, that Jesus, Jesus has set me free, he can set anybody else free. Yeah. 
and they land in New Zealand in November of 1835 and, and then began their work, Robert and Susan Warnzel. They began to set up um, schools of education and, 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 more, and Robert was a, was a brilliant and talented linguistic and he learned the language so well that he was an eloquent speaker when he began to preach. He, he had evangelistic call on his life and, and he was so strong in his preaching. Many came to know in Christ. He was equally as strong in, in, in the Maori language and he was eloquently speaking in Maori to people and many heard and many came because of love of Christ they had in his life. And he would, what he would do is he would, he would, he would um, pay, um, surround himself with, 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 with Maori people, and he'll say to them, he'll say to them, look, when I speak to you, I want you to correct my grammar, and if you correct my grammar, I will pay you. But before I pay you, you have to prove to me why it's incorrect. So this was, this was, a, this was his dedication to learning the Maori language. And he became fluent in the language. And, and he was a person of, with a dry sense of humor. He's almost like a man after my own heart. And, um, but he was, he was this Irish man in New Zealand. And, and you've got to understand, he gave up a promising career as a lawyer. And he left the glitz and glamour of England and he came to New Zealand. You gotta understand the hut that he lived in. Okay, he didn't live, they didn't come here and they lived in all these, they built all these great missionary houses. He lived in a mud hut. His floor was, was mud. In fact, there was only one door into his, into his house, and the only window they had was a hole in the wall. That's the only window they had. This was their lifestyle. Him and Susan had a number of children. And he continued to preach, preach the gospel throughout the land. And he preached from Auckland all the way to Tiamutu. In fact, um, Robert Mwanta was the first ordained minister to take a service in Auckland. His love for the people grew. In fact, 32 chiefs signed the Treaty of Waitangi because of Robert Mwanta. Because Robert Mwanta and many other missionaries, they sought the Treaty of Waitangi because um, they thought that the Treaty of Waitangi will, will protect the Maori people from the English settlement. And so they went around, they, and, and, and because it was their love for the people and the protection of the people, because they understood that the, the, the day of the times. They understood the colonization of what has been going around the place, and they sought it, and they, and they sought others to follow it. And, and many signed the treaty. But however, as time began to show us, and as, as new settlers arrived, and new governors arrived, they, 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 they didn't honor the treaty. And what happened, they, this, they began to, to confiscate land of people and, and begin to... to, 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 um, to, uh, to uh, neglect the treaty. Robert Mwanzu and the other missionaries, they began to, to stand for and fight for justice. Eventually, um, their words fell on deaf ears and it led to the Maori Wars in the 1860s. This was devastating for them. They worked so tirelessly with these people. And said, hey, come on, you know, Jesus has got your back. For only for, for another group of people to come along and, and take advantage of what they had sowed. And can you imagine the work that, that you had, that you're working with people, and then other people come in and take advantage of your work? See, Robert Mournsel didn't just come and so he could make a name for himself. Robert Mournsel had, had, had challenges after challenges after challenges. His wife, at the age of 36, died because of sickness and illness. Robert Mournsel was only 41 when his wife died. Can you imagine that when you left your country, excited with your wife, and go, we're going to grow old together. And his wife died at the age of 36 because of illness, because they're so far away from any, um, any care. But Robert Mournsel, he was a man of action, and a year later he got remarried. <laughs> she just happened to be 10 years younger than his wife, but that was okay. 
And, but she became, her name was Beatrice, or Beatrice, however you say, Beatrice, maybe it's Beatrice. And they began to work tirelessly together, and they set up schools, and they had over 700 peop- pupils turning, uh, Maori um, children attending their schools, and, and they worked tirelessly, uh, began to proclaim the name of Jesus. When they had Sunday morning church service, Sunday morning church, about 300 um, native Maori would turn up for church service. You know what time the church service started? It wasn't 8.30. It was 5 o'clock in the morning. They turned up for church at 5 o'clock in the morning. 300! 5 o'clock in the morning. And they stayed all day for church. They stopped at lunchtime. Come on, because all brown people love a good feed. <laughs> and then they carried on. You know, when we think about the mega churches here, did you know back in New Zealand? In the 1800s, you had 300 people turning up for church, 500 turn up for church, 700 turn up for church, 1,000 people turn up for church. We think the, the, the mega church is a new thing. It wasn't a new thing. In the 1800s, they had mega churches going on. People hungry for the gospel, hungry for Jesus because of the love and passion that they saw from the missionaries who gave it, the love they had for the people. But tragedy kept following Robert. In fact, 12 years later, that his, his wife Beatrice would die and giving birth to his last child. But this didn't stop Robert. He continued to preach the gospel. And during the Maori Wars, a lot of his missionary stations were destroyed. And he began to watch people that he loved die. People that he fought for, worked for, die. People that he, he baptized die. Unjustly deaf. And he would say of the Taranaki Wars, he would say this, he would write and say, he, he said this, the Tar- Taranaki War of 1860-61, to 61, he said this, it is a wicked and unjust a war of any that can be found on the pages of the colonial history. He was so saddened by what had happened, but he kept on preaching the gospel. He kept on ministering both to both sides. He never stopped. And maybe we're here today, and maybe God called you to something. But it hasn't been easy. You've been struggling. I said, God, I thought you called me to this. God, I thought, you, I thought you put something in my heart, but I'm trying, but it just seems like everything is against me. Every time I take a foot forward, there's two steps back. Well, what is happening? See, Robert knows exactly how you feel. In fact, the apostle Paul knows exactly how you, how you, how you feel. The apostle Paul was a pioneer of the faith, full of zeal. And the apostle Paul begins to pen this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 verse 10. Reading from the Passion Translation, verse 8, though we experience every kind of pressure, we are not crushed. Have you felt pressure before? Have you felt the weight of pressure, the weight of finances, the weight of marriage on your life, the weight of your children going astray? Have you felt pressure of being left alone where people deserted you? Have you felt that before? Paul's felt it. Robert felt it. He lost his wife twice. He He's seen his work burnt up. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we are not crushed. You know, life is made up of 90% of what we think happens and 10% of what actually happens. Did you know that? See, though we feel the pressure of life, we are not crushed. We need to tell ourselves the truth. You're feeling pressure right now, but you're not crushed. There's still life in you. There's still hope in you. As long as you're still breathing, there's hope. And all the enemy wants to do is steal that from you and crush your spirit. 
but the Spirit of God lives within you. Did you know I dro- when I was walking out my door yesterday, I dropped my wallet because it was so heavy. No, of receipts of that. <laughs> I dropped my wallet. And, and, they said to, and they said, oh, you dropped your wallet. And I, and I said to you know, I don't really care about my wallet because what is our values inside? Because what's inside the wallet is what makes it valuable. Did you know who's inside of you? Do you know who's inside of you? Because of who's inside of you, you are valuable. You are a treasure. Sometimes we just feel like, how can I go forward? How can I move on? But God loves you so much that He deposits His Spirit inside of you. Although that we're jars of clay, that's all we are. But what's inside of the jars of clay is of value and of treasure. And this is what Robert Mournsel and the other missionaries did. They understood this. At times, we don't know what to do. Have you ever felt like that? Well, you just don't know what to do. You're just lost. You're there, but you're not there. Maybe in your marriage, you're feeling lost right now. Maybe in a relationship that you have, you're feeling lost right now. Don't know what to do with your children. You're just feeling lost. Well, I love what the Scripture says, but quitting is not an option. Come on, Paul understands how you feel. Do you know Paul? He was flogged, whipped five times. Paul, for the gospel. He was shipwrecked three times. And back in those days when they killed somebody, they stoned them to death by throwing stones at him. This happened to him once and he survived. He was imprisoned. He was persecuted. He was beaten by the Jews and the non-Jews. But yet he kept preaching Christ. And he writes this and he pens this this in the first and second Corinthians, don't we experience every kind of pressure? We are not crushed. At times we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. Quitting in your marriage is not an option. So it's easy to walk away. It's easy to give up. But quitting is not an option. It's worth fighting for. Your children are worth fighting for. Your education is worth fighting for. Your profession is worth fighting for. It's easy to give up. It's easy to quit. It's easy to, but God hasn't deposited a spirit of fear in your life, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Come on, He's called you to be a pioneering people, to do something. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. God hasn't forgotten you. We may be knocked down, but not out. We all know how, what it feels to be knocked down, but we're not out. There's still life. We continually share in the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the resurrection of life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. I love this because your greatest gift to your children, your greatest gift to your, to your, your spouse, your greatest gift to, um, to your workmates, your colleagues, is to be the shining light. When, when all hell was breaking loose in your life, you, step, you kept standing. And because you're that shining light, that, that your gift to them is that you're going to help lead them through that right now. So you can't lead anybody where you've never been. Maybe the issue, the trouble that you're going through, the tragedy you're going through, God is, is beginning to, to, to um, sow something in your life that, that one day that you'll begin to lead others through that. Your greatest gift is to be the shining light, to stand from, I know exactly how you feel. I know what it's like when my wife left me. I know what it's like when my husband left me. I know what it's like when my children went astray. I know what it's like when I went bankrupt. I know what it's like when I lost my business. I know what it's like to fail my exams. I know what it's like, but I'm still standing 
I felt the pressure, but I'm still standing. I'm not crushed. I've been knocked down, but I did not give up. I got back up and I kept moving forward. If it happened to me, it can happen to you. Come on, your greatest gift is to help people in life. God has put you in places. He's put you in wherever you are. He's put you there for a reason. You know, Robert Mournsel, when he landed in New Zealand, there was already a New Testament in Māori. But you know what his dream was, his passion was? His dream and passion was that one day then Māori will be able to read the whole Bible in their native tongue. So he began this, this, this journey of translating the Old Testament into, into Māori. And he will translate from Hebrew directly into Māori because he, he was an expert in the Hebrew language. And this work wasn't easy and it'll be in his hut, you know. And, and I've got this book, this was printed in 1938 by Robert Mournsel. It's an old book, and as I opened it, these moths flew out, and I was quite amazed. Um, and, and, and in this book, he tells the story. He's translating, and he's in his mud hut with this one window with just a hole in the wall. And he's got his desk next to it so he can see, and he's translating. He's translating year after year. He's translating. When it rained, he would get his laundry bag, and he'd stuff it in the hole, and then he'll call it a day because there was no light. He couldn't see what he was doing. Eventually, um, they, they had a purpose-built house for them, but a little bit more comfortable. He was almost finished translating the Old Testament. Tragedy strikes, strikes again in 1843. His house burns down. He loses everything. His transcripts, his translation, he loses everything. Have you ever lost everything? Have you ever been to a point of breaking? God, I thought you called me to this, but I don't understand what's going on. You know, maybe the reason why we stopped trying is, is not because we, we failed, but the reason why we failed is because we stopped trying. Because we've fallen over and it hurts so much. It's easier to stay down. It's easier to, to, to lay there and have, like Robert Mournsel, he had a pity party. Have you had one of those before? Has anybody had a pity party? Just me, myself, and I. So yesterday I got up and... Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. I was a joke. And it's so hard for us. But there comes a time in our life. There comes a moment when the Spirit of God whispers in your ear and it says, you are not forsaken. You are not forsaken. You are not forgotten. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. The treasure that is inside of you is worth more than jewels. There comes a time in your life when you're sick and tired of laying down and it's time to get up. I get knocked down, but I get up again and I keep moving forward. And Robert, Robert Mournsel was in this place. He was knocked down. He was angry. He was emotional. He was broken. And I want to read this, this passage in the book. And Robert Munzer writes this. And the great man, for he was a great man, believe me, looked down at me as I sat on a fallen tree. Out of those blue-gray eyes of his, 
eyes brimming with kindness to all whom he came in contact and said, this is Robert Monzo. When you get to a point that I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, there's only one way. And there's only one who gives us strength. And Robert Monzo said this, God, forgive me for my sin. And he did forgive me, for I shortly found out that this trouble had only been sent to me to try me and prove me. And thus, before a month had passed, I was at work on my translation again. This time, I love this. This, this was a revelation when I read this. This time, with the help of one of my wardens, a middle-aged Maori. Anybody feel middle-aged right now? A middle-aged Maori who had professed his faith in the gospel and was living in peace and charity with his neighbors. It was the help I received from this man that enabled me to grasp the full meaning of many words I had up to then imperfectly understood. And thus I became aware. He became woke. He became woke. I became aware of my many faulty interpretation that had been in the burned manuscript. And I was now able, I was now able to thank God my work had never reached the printer's hands in its original state. And in course of time, my new rendering was printed and the Maldives were for the first time able to read the Old Testament in their own tongue. What if, what if your greatest tragedy is your greatest triumph? What if the trouble that you see before you, it will soon be over. What if God was about to do something in your life that you never expected? And let me tell you, Robert Monsell never expected that. But he was glad that his work burnt down. Because God turned it around. See, see the, the translation of the Old Testament into Māori was in partnership between Pākehā and Māori working together to bring change. See, when we bring change in this world, it's meant that we are meant to do it together. In New Zealand, there's many people who have come to this nation from across the land. May we embrace the pioneering spirit. May we embrace one another. And may we together reach this land with the gospel of Jesus. So what if your greatest triumph, your greatest triumph came out of your greatest tragedy? See, most of us out in this room who have experienced tragedy, we aren't the people we are unless we went through some hard testing. I thank God for all my tragedies in my life because it's the man who I am today. And I could never have done it without God. Come on, there was a revival in this country. Why not again? But it causes people to do something. We'll pray and we'll do something.